Welcome to the Down the Drive podcast. I am your host, Mike Schneid, the site manager at Down the Drive, your home for all things Cincinnati Bearcats sports. You can follow me on Twitter at msschneid, that's M-S-S-C-H-N-E-I-D. You can follow Down the Drive at Down the Drive. We're new on Instagram, you can follow us there at Down the Drive UC. And of course, make sure you check out the site, downthedrive.com, for all of our latest content, which right now includes the recap from the Marshall game, a huge 52-14 victory for the Bearcats, our NFL Week 4 Cincinnati Alumni Recap, and this Friday, big night for Cincinnati Athletics, it's Midnight Madness to celebrate the men and women's basketball teams. Our Phil Neifer has been profiling some of the returning players with his Returning Player Refresher Series. Right now, articles on Mamadou Dayara and Trevor Moore are live on the site, and another one will drop this Friday morning as well. And obviously the big main event attraction of Friday is the UCF game. We have tons of content coming already on the site and coming this week to preview the UCF football game. And on this episode, I talked to Jeff Sharon of Black and Gold Banneret, SB Nation's UCF site. We'll talk a little bit about what the hell happened against Pittsburgh, you know, the streak in general and UCF's meteoric rise and sort of what to expect this on Friday on Friday in the big game. But one more thing on the content, uh, there was a big announcement earlier today on Twitter. It was a real announcement. There was real actual news. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't fake news. It wasn't a joke. Uh, moving forward, you know, we realized that we haven't done a great job at Down the Drive of covering Cincinnati's women's sports. So moving forward, there is going to be a new weekly column titled Women Wednesday, where it'll do a couple of different things. This week's article is going to just put the spotlight on one woman within UC Athletics and just kind of give a brief recap on uh, update and overview on her. Uh, Moving forward, it could be anywhere from a spotlight article. It could be just the latest news and notes. It could be recaps on recent games with whether it's soccer, volleyball, basketball. But we're going to do a better job moving forward of covering Women's Athletics at Cincinnati, so we're very excited about that. And of course, we're very excited about Friday. This is it. This is the most important week of Cincinnati football this season. It's arguably the biggest home game since 2009. I think in the moment, there have been bigger games. Like 2016, when the Top 10 Houston game came in, but obviously in hindsight, that was a team that finished with four wins, so it's hard to say that that was a huge game. Bearcats enter Friday exactly where they were expected to be, at 3-1 with wins over UCLA and Miami, a road win at Marshall, and of course the one loss against Ohio State. I know that that loss against Ohio State will forever haunt people because of the way that it happened at 42-0, but looking back, 42 points is actually the fewest Ohio State has now scored through five games, and they're very clearly an elite team and a legitimate championship contender, so it's it's hard to regret what happened that day as much as we wish we scored. So this is it. This is where Cincinnati expected to be at 3-1. Still not getting any votes in the polls. Not a shock. UCF comes in on Friday ranked number 18 in the country. Cincinnati hasn't fared well recently against ranked teams. They've actually lost 12 in a row. The last victory was, in fact, against Pittsburgh. Back in 2009, and the last home victory was a couple weeks before that against West Virginia. So, yeah, since then, it's been 12 in a row. There was the Oakland game, 
uh, a couple of or Oklahoma game, a couple of Louisville games, Rutgers in 2012, Ohio State twice back in 2014, and obviously this year, Houston twice as mo- as recently as 2016 when they were ranked number eight. We played at Michigan in 2017. Actually, 2017 was three teams. It was Michigan, USF, and UCF, and then UCF, of course, last year. And it's been an interesting series with UCF. We've played them four times to date. The first game was back in 2015. That was the year that UCF went 0-12, and Cincinnati just completely blew the doors off of them, as expected. And then, you know, the next two years, it didn't go so well. Cincinnati also had four wins in the last year was college game day. An incredible sight and scene in Orlando. It didn't work out too well for the Bearcats. They started out, it was an interesting game. They started out sort of strong. They ended up punting on the first drive, but also committed like 10 penalties on that drive. A couple of false starts and crowd noise was certainly a factor. But UCF's first first offensive possession was a forced fumble by Malik Clements and then a recovery in the end zone for a touchdown. And then after that, UCF rattled off 35 straight points. So I, I think this will be an interesting game because I think for the first time in the history of the series, the talent gap is not as wide as it has been on either side. And obviously the home field advantage of Nippert Stadium, it doesn't matter if the field is going to be black, green, red, blue, or turquoise. It's going to be a loud, raucous, crazy crowd at Nippert Stadium. Because this game, it really means everything. This game is honestly, it's the difference between Cincinnati spending December at the Gasparilla Bowl or the Birmingham Bowl or playing in the Cotton Bowl against a real team. So, look, you, you can't... Legendary Ric Flair used to say, in order to be the man, you have to beat the man. And UCF is the man. So... Nip at night on Friday, 8 o'clock on ESPN. The only way Cincinnati is going to win this conference championship is by beating UCF. They have a chance to do it. They've won nine in a row at Nippert Stadium, dating back to the end of 2017. And it's, it's really, it's all on the line for Cincinnati on Friday. And I'm going to talk to Jeff Sharon, like I said, of the SB Nation UCF site and get his thoughts on this Friday's game. I'm joined now by Jeff Sharon of Black and Gold Banneret, SB Nation's UC Knights uh, community. Jeff, how's it going? What's going on, Mike? Thanks for having me on, and uh, it's good to have you on board at Down the Drive, man. Welcome to, uh, uh, welcome to, uh, welcome to the fun that is the American, my man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that, and I guess I'm going to start right there because the fun that is the American, I'm not sure how much fun it's been for you. I got to tell you, I have a ton of respect for UCF. I think the run that you guys have had has been amazing. But me personally, as an outsider, I get stressed and I get frustrated by the noise from the outside. So as someone that covers the team, as a fan of the team, like, I mean, how do you personally handle the noise that UCF doesn't belong? that you don't play anyone. Go join a real conference. Go play your real team. Like it, it gives me a headache, and I don't even really care about UCF. So how do you handle that? It, well, well, I, I personally, I, I, I'm kind of a, I'm known in UCF circles as an, as an American Athletic Conference apologist. 
Um, I've always liked the league. I, I mean, I can remember when UCF was trying to fight into the old Big East about the time that, uh, around the time actually that Cincinnati and and South Florida and and all and and that other and everybody else in that group joined the Big East, and UCF wanted a piece of the action, and they didn't get it, so they ended up going. This is when this is when I was a sophomore in college. UCF was in the MAC for two years, um, and then went to Conference USA, and then. And then went up to you know what we thought was the Big East and ended up being the American. But I thought you know, but I, you know, when the American was formed, I thought you know something. This is actually not a bad league. There, the, you know, there's a, it, it's it's not what UCF fans have always wanted, which is a ticket to a Power Five. Con- and I hate that term, Power Five. But I do too. Um, but I, I always refer to them as the Autonomous Five because that's <laughs> or the or the A Five because that's what's in the NCAA rulebook, right? So. Um, so I, I've always thought that this was the right place at the right time for UCF. And, you know, so far in the short history of the league, you know, that has been, that has borne out. Um, UCF has a platform in the American where they can, you know, tout themselves as a, as a growing program. Okay. And, and it is a growing program. Um, it can tout itself as uh, and and play against you know similar competitions with similar schools that have similar profiles. I think especially schools like Cincinnati, like Memphis, like Houston, like South Florida, um, in schools that are um, that are that are growing in stature, that are growing from uh, both academically and athletically, uh, and uh, are are building their revenue base and building their alumni base in major metropolitan areas. In that way, I think the Americans kind of the inheritor of the old. Remember the old Metro Conference? I do. Way back in the day, so that was. The, and I think I think I forget if Cincinnati was in the Metro Conference for for a time I, I, before Conference USA started. But I think at um, some point. I think I think so too. I can't remember. Somebody could please correct me on that. And I apologize if I'm wrong, but. Um, but this is kind of the the old inheritor of the Metro Conference, and if you look back at the history of the Metro Conference, pretty much you know most of those teams got the call up to a big league at some point. I think the um, that there's a I I personally have never had a problem with it. I think that Mike Oresco as a commissioner has actually done a very good job um, saving the league from almost imploding before it, before it began. Um, with no television contract, no nothing, and it's clearly. I think there's there's an autonomous five con- conferences, you know, the Big Twelve, SEC, yada yada yada. There's the American, and then there's the other four conferences. I think that's pretty clear by now. The Mountain West is trying to get into this sort of second tier with the American, but to me, it's still behind. It's close, but it's still behind. So I I'll, I'll be wearing my American Athletic Conference hat. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I agree. I mean, obviously, Boise State at the top is great. And Fresno State has kind of risen to the top recently in Utah State. But I just don't see the same depth in the Mountain West as you do in the American. I think this year the conference goes maybe six, seven teams deep. I know the knock on the American is that the teams on the bottom are really, really bad. UConn and USF <laughs> might be amongst the worst teams in all of college football, but yeah. But if that's the case, let, allow good. me to introduce you. To, yeah, and it's, <laughs> I was sorry to interrupt, but I was going to say if if you think that, allow me to introduce you to something called the Pac-12. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I I like the Pac-12 this year. I mean, last year obviously they were a disaster. They have good teams. They're just beating themselves up. So it kind of 
it looks a little bit skewed. But I guess you know, we'll, we both know about the Pac-12 because we took care of business against UCLA and you took care of business against Stanford. But the problem with right. this noise is, I don't know how good Stanford is this year, but you beat Stanford and the narrative immediately turned to Stanford sucks. It wasn't, right. oh my God, what a good win for UCF. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the frustrating part with UCF, with UCF. And really all teams in the American have the same problem. If you beat a major conference team, it's, it's, it's exactly that. It's, wow, major conference team X must be having an off year. Uh, it's, it's not, you know, wow, what, look what UCF did to Stanford or what Cincinnati did to UCLA. It's like, well, UCLA is rebuilding under chip, you know, and it's like, come on, like give teams credit where credit is due. And that's a problem. That's the one problem that I have, but there's, that's something that neither Cincinnati nor UCF can control. You know, the reaction to those wins, all you can do is just win the games. Um, you can't control the reaction to the winning of the games afterwards. And, you know, so far, um, you know, both of the both UCF and Cincinnati and, you know, Houston to a certain extent. And, uh, well, I mean, we thought it would be that way with South Florida, although they passed on hard times just now. But, you know, recently, but I'm sure uh, you're happy about that. Well, <laughs> I, I have a complicated relationship with that, too. I, you know, the ideal season for me would be. UCF and South Florida both go undefeated, and then UCF beats them on Black Friday. That's that's the ideal situation for me. I, I'm now I'm in the minority of UCF fans in thinking that, but but I want UCF to be the best of the best, right? And and the way you do that is you, you, it, and look back at Black Friday in 2017, that uh, the 49-42 game that was at, in Orlando. UCF that was, was a quest. South, yeah, I mean, South Florida came in with one loss, and and Quentin Flowers had 600 yards of total offense by himself. Um, and everyone was like, oh, man, you remember how great that game was? Yeah, because those two teams were great. And then uh, the next week was even better. Yeah, against Memphis. <laughs> and now if you ask a UCF fan, they'll still say that the South Florida game was the best. But I I thought the Memphis game was 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 probably the – not the best game that I've ever seen, but probably the wildest game I've ever seen. And it had so many twists and turns. And then you had the report that Scott Frost was leaving UCF for Nebraska happening right at the end of regulation on, uh, on ABC. It was, it was just a wild, wild afternoon and probably the most emotional afternoon in UCF football history when you think about how it all went down. There was a great video feature. I really encourage people to take a look at it. Um, UCF's uh, athletic department has an amazing video production team, and they produced this um, sort of documentary series that they put out on um, YouTube called Nightflix. And I really encourage you, every Cincinnati fan to go back uh, to go to UCF on YouTube and watch the Nightflix episode from the conference championship game in 2017. That was um, as uh, as wild and emotional roller coaster ride as you could possibly fathom. Um, it's it's it gives me chills just thinking about it too because it was so crazy. But it was looking back on it, man, it was a lot of fun. So we're talking about so speaking of roller coaster rides and you know Cincinnati and UCF just have to keep winning to earn that respect. And I got to say I'm very disappointed about what happened against Pitt. If Anyone was going to take you guys down, I wanted it to be Cincinnati. I was obviously adamant about this last year. That didn't work out well. Uh, so I wanted to do it this year, and Pitt kind of beat us to it. But I was watching that game. I saw a number of 
things that concern me. If I was a UCF fan, what did you see? I mean, what happened on that day that you guys finally kind of just got exposed, I guess? I think it was, I think it was two things, uh, or actually three things. The first thing was Pitt came out like it was their Super Bowl. Um, they were emotionally ready for this game. They, they, they were well-prepared, and they wanted to punch first, and they certainly um, did that. UCF is very good at punching other teams first. Uh, I've that's noticed. What done. It, you, <laughs> their, their whole mantra is get the ball, score, and you know, score, get the ball back, score again, put you down 14 nothing in the first five minutes. And then you're on, you're you're way back on your heels, right? Uh, and and you put that seated doubt in the opponent, like, oh my God, they're 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 going to do this to us now. Um, and that didn't happen in this game. Pitt jumped out twenty-one nothing. I think the other thing that they did was they controlled the line of scrimmage, which has been rare. Actually, it was rare this year. The offensive and defensive lines for UCF were kind of question marks coming into this coming into the season, but they were dominant against Stanford. Um, against a, a very good competition, um, and uh, and and of course dominated against UConn uh, this past this past. Uh, That's week. not a real team. <laughs> well, <laughs> I I get it, but um, but it's it's like you got. I feel like you got to give credit where you know where when they do what they're supposed to do, no, of right? Course. Of course. Um, the uh. Uh, but against Pitt, man, Pitt really did control the line of scrimmage. And one of the ways that they controlled the line of scrimmage on offense, Pitt, um, was that they kind of did the UCF to UCF. They ran, uh, they they moved the ball at a quick pace. Um, their quarterback was in complete control of the game. And they just kept UCF off balance, um, got the lead, kept them off balance. They got a special teams touchdown off of a off of a block punt. I think that was big. Um, and then they weathered the storm, you know, I mean, UCF in that game, people forget this, you know, in, in the course of that game, UCF scored 31 points in 13 minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah. I, mean, think about that I mean, yeah, as I'm watching that, I'm just kind of nodding my head like, yep, there it goes. Man, here here win, they come. They're, they're going to win this game by 17 or 24. I mean, obviously. Yeah. But then what happened was, <laughs> uh, was, uh, on an, on an offensive possession for Pitt, UCF got called for three, three uh, bad penalties. Two of them were personal fouls and let Pitt right back in it. Um, and then, uh, and, and even so, it took a trick play on a fourth down with <laughs> one minute to go in the game for Pitt to win by one point. So it, it was just one of those, you know, Bill Simmons has a, a term uh, th- that I like to go back to. He calls it the no effing way game. <laughs> that's where, what that was. Yeah, that's what that was. <laughs> it was like, you know, you play in Madden and you're playing in season mode and you're like steamrolling everybody, but there's just one game in the regular season when you're playing, you know, I mean, I don't know, the Cleveland Browns. And just every time you run the ball, you fumble. Every time you throw the ball, it gets picked off. And the computer's AI just says, there's no effing way you're winning this game. And and it's the only game you lose in the whole season. Well, that was, I feel like that was, at least up to this point, that pit game was the no effing way game for UCF. So would you say, based on that outcome, that if Cincinnati can control the line of scrimmage, that that's kind of the key to the Bearcats pulling off an upset? Is Absolutely. That the, is that the one flaw that Cincinnati needs to try and expose? 
Yeah, absolutely. There's no question about it. And and the way that there's there's two ways that you can do that. First of all, you have to ride the wave of emotion heading into that game, right? So if I'm coaching against UCF, um, you know, if I'm look if I'm Luke Fickle, I'm like, look, if we if I I really want to win the coin toss, obviously, um, and put seven on the board right away. Do to UCF what UCF does to everybody else. Um, and then when it comes down to controlling the line of scrimmage, I want to keep my um, ends on the. I want to keep my ends from uh, collapsing the pocket. And really, what it comes down to is the guy is actually in the middle, pushing the pocket back into Dylan, quarterback Dylan Gabriel's face. Remember, he's a true freshman. Um, arrived on campus la- uh, this past January, so he was an early enrollee, but he's still he's still a youngin, right? And we saw that in the Pitt game where, you know, Pitt got some pressure on him up the middle. He made a couple of mistakes early that contributed to uh, to just putting that little seed of doubt in UCF's hands. And they and Pitt did a very good job of actually controlling the run, which um, which people forget. Like this is people think of UCF as this high flying passing offense. They're actually not. They're a rushing first offense. It's just that they keep the pace so high and then they hit you. And then when you're when you're stuck in your base defense because you can't sub out, uh, then then they hit you with the long ball. And that's what Dylan Gabriel was really good at. And we saw that in that 31-point explosion against Pitt where it was it was him to uh, to uh, to his wide receivers on the outside, you know, Trey Nixon um and um and and Gabriel Davis, who's going who's a no doubter NFL prospect by the way. He is he is, he is the real deal. Uh and uh and that got UCF, you know, down in scoring position, and uh, and and helped them to put the points on the board. Um, but if you can pressure Gabriel, if you have to, you have to stop the run, you have to pressure Gabriel from the middle. I think that can and get him off of his spot because he's right now he he could run, but he's a little bit, at least in the first five games we've seen, he's a little bit tentative to run, and that's what Pitt took advantage of. Um, in that game, and then uh, if you're on uh, if you're on offense for um, for Cincinnati, you you want to get on top early, but then kind of run your four minute offense the entire time, where you're you're getting up to the line quickly and keeping UCF off balance, but then you're also not going so fast that you hand them the ball right back and tire out your own defense. That makes sense. And so what worries you, if anything, about the Bearcats? Like, what have you seen from Cincinnati in their first four games that you think could be a problem for UCF? You know, I think Cincinnati's um, pass defense has been really good. You know, right now the Bearcats are 15th in, um, in, uh, in, in the country in pass defense. Uh, and, 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 you know, so far that's really worked for them. I think that um, you know, when you're trying to defend against the team that that wants to hit the long ball and go vertical on you, that's going to have to be a key. Um, and Michael Warren is a guy that is the kind of back that can really control the game, kind of like what Daryl Henderson of Memphis did last year to UCF in the first halves of those two games where Memphis had the lead in the Liberty Bowl in the regular season and then in Orlando in the conference championship game. If they can get him going, I think that's going to be a uh, that's going to be a real concern because that'll allow Cincinnati to control the pace of the game. Um, and then if you take away the deep threats, well, now what do you you know what do you you're what you're saying telling Dylan Gabriel, the freshman quarterback, is how are you going to beat us? 
you know, by not doing the thing that you do best, taking away his best option, which is a very Bill Belichick kind of thing to do. So, um, so I think that 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 can be definitely be a key. And then the other thing is, um, you know, we know it's a Friday night at Nippert. Um, everybody and their mother is going to be there, or at least they're going to say that they were there. <laughs> um, if they can, if they can ride that wave of emotion, um, that's you know, and channel it to their benefit. I think that can that can benefit them certainly and keep. UCF from from taking the air out of the building. You know, if they t- if UCF goes scores early, and then forces a three and out, and then f- scores again, like it could be it could be a long night for Cincinnati. So you got to do everything you can to just stay tight in those first in that first flurry that you where UCF tries to knock you out in the first round. Yeah, and I during this recent run of UCF, to be honest, I'm not sure that you guys have seen anything like Nippert Stadium. On the road, I guess the atmosphere at Pitt was okay, but I've been to Pitt games. It's quiet there. There's nothing at Temple. No other AAC team compares. I know that the bounce house is the best atmosphere. I'll give you that. But nothing compares to Nippert Stadium, especially at night. So that's really Cincinnati's one big advantage on Friday night is, like you said, if you don't get the crowd out of it, though, Cincinnati comes down and gets that quick seven. If you do it the other way around, Cincinnati gets the quick seven, gets the three and out. That, I mean, they're going to ride that wave all night. Cincinnati tried to do that last year. Uh, sort of what you were describing before of how mm-hmm. to beat UCF, we had that formula. We got the ball first. I think there were like 10 penalties because they couldn't hear each other. Right. I think the crowd noise was louder than they thought, uh, which, again, was a problem for us because we never faced anything like the bounce house. I mean, playing in an empty Rose Bowl against UCLA, playing in front of 500 people in UConn and SMU, we weren't prepared, so came out flat. Yeah. Did get the fumble touchdown, and then I think you guys rattled off thirty-five straight points from there. Yeah, <laughs> I think the key. I think the key in that game was also again on special teams. Remember, because there was the block field goal, and that was kind of the that was kind of the capper to it. I think that Cincinnati was still in the game until that block field goal, and then that was a ten-point swing. But also the 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 crowd just went ballistic. Uh, I think Richie – I forget who brought it back. I think it was Richie Grant. He almost scored on that play. If he scored, I think the stadium would have collapsed. I really think that. But People um, that were there said the stadium was going to collapse. It, I, heard it, <laughs> I heard it's unsafe. As loud as it is, the thing is, is going to collapse, and somebody is going to die one day. Oh, it's not <laughs> unsafe. It's not unsafe. It, wa- it was borderline. Like if, okay, if you go there, all right? I, you haven't been. You haven't been to Bright, to Bright House. That's what it used to be called. Spectrum. Stadium, I really. Right? Re- I had family stuff last year. I really, really regret that I couldn't get All down right. there. I you wanted gotta, to be there so badly. You got to come down for a game because you know for for someone who's new to UCF, like it's it, you you're standing and you're like this place is literally moving and it's frightening. It, it's it's you know we can tell in the press box how how big of a moment is in the game based on the. I guess the amplitude of the shaking, <laughs> um, you know, because because like when it's a big moment, and it really shakes. You can hear the whole press box go, oh, OK, all right. Yep, this is this is it. This is it right here. Um, and uh, and, you know, since then, obviously, they've reinforced it. They knew it, they knew it was an issue really for fan comfort above all above all things. For, in terms of safety, it was fine. But um, there is or at least it's certainly fine now. Um 
you know, but it, but it's, it's, a, it's certainly a, a unique experience, you know, when, uh, and, and Spectrum, people forget the Spectrum Stadium isn't built any different than actually several other stadiums that have been built upon and built upon and built upon over the years. The one I particularly think of is Dote Campbell Stadium at Florida State. I mean, everyone thinks of that place as, uh, as one of the old school great venues of college football. Well, they've, they've, you know, built upon that place so much using the same construction techniques. And it's a little wobbly at times at Dote Campbell, but, um, you know, it's the USF fans like to rag on it, but it's like, eh, you know what, whatever we have our stadium on campus and you play in an empty Buccaneer stadium. So be quiet. <laughs> All right. One last question for you as an outsider to UCF. My expectation was that Brandon Wimbush was going to play. I thought he would be the kind of the placeholder and then Mackenzie Milton would come back next year. Obviously, Dylan Gabriel has sort of taken the world on fire. I think he, from what I've seen, he's really, really good. What were the expectations of UCF? Did you guys expect Gabriel to play? Did you expect him to play like this? I know there's also uh, Dario Mack that I know is banged up the first two days. I mean, what, what did you think the quarterback situation was going to be coming into the season? I think we thought that, um, well, Daryl Mack was supposed to be the starter. And he broke his ankle two weeks before uh, before uh, camp started uh, in a non in a non football injury, and you know even though uh, Brandon Wimbush you know who transferred over from Notre Dame was on the roster, he was kind of considered an insurance policy. And lo and behold, UCF had to take out the insurance policy. But we <laughs> thought we pretty much thought that okay, Brandon is at least experienced enough where he can keep the offense afloat through the first three, four games until, uh, until Mac is healthy. And then um, in the very first game against Florida A&M, uh, you know, Wimbush played, he started, he played pretty well, but Gabriel went in there and he just, and he was super sharp. I know it's against Florida A&M, but it was like he was making some serious throws in that game that Wimbush wasn't making. And then he gets the start at FAU and was was okay at a low completion percentage, but still threw for over two. I think actually the I think the stat was he threw for the most yards on the fewest completions in one game um, uh, since for anyone in college football since two thousand and three or something. I think he had seven completions That's for crazy. like two hundred and yeah, yeah, like seven completions for like two hundred and seventy some yards, and I, I forget exactly what it is, but. Um, you know, and, and it was there that we were like, okay, we got something. So he starts the Stanford game and we were still thinking, okay, we'll probably see Wimbush. And then he just, he just lights the Cardinal up and, uh, and, and looked fantastic in that game. Um, and you know, from there, he pretty much, he pretty much just took the job and, uh, Daryl Max saw some action in the second half, um, last week. Uh, against UConn, um, he's recovered from his ankle injury, but he was playing against the UConn's twos. So, you know, take make of that what you will. But um, yeah, at least UCF has depth at the quarterback position, um, yeah, and that's at least that's what they're going with. It's still, it's just, it just seems, you know, looking back on it, it's it's really something to think about when you consider that uh, you know had McKenzie, if were it not for a freak accident. You know, Mackenzie Milton would be playing, uh, and um, and he would be, uh, and or he would be, he would be back this year for probably most likely his uh, 
his senior year. It's uh, but nonetheless, that's what UCF has to deal with. And um, they're fortunate you know, enough that they found a guy in Gabriel who, by the way, he and Mackenzie Milton are very tight because they actually both went to the same high school, Miliani High School in uh, in Honolulu or outside of Honolulu uh, in Hawaii. So Isn't it uh, the same school or a competing school with Tua also. It was a competing was a school. Competitive school, okay. It was, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a competing school. And actually, if you if you search on YouTube, there are highlight videos of two games between Miliani, where Mackenzie Milton played, and I forget the name of the high school where Tua played, but they actually faced each other in high school. If you can imagine that, and um, um, I'm, I'm trying to see, I'm trying to see if I can pull it up. Yeah, actually, uh, I feel like I've seen that during a UCF game last year. It actually might have been the Cincinnati game where they were touting up Milton and comparing him to how him and Tua used to play against each other in high school. It's yeah. interesting to me because coming into the season, I thought UCF was vulnerable because of the quarterback position because I didn't think that highly of Brandon Wimbush from what I had seen at Notre Dame, and I thought he would kind of hold you guys back. I don't – I don't know if anybody expected Dylan Gabriel to come on to the scene. He went to the scenes the way he did. I know I didn't. So kind of changes your perception a little bit of UCF this season. Yeah. I, you know, I thought that too. I, I, I'm, I was on record. Uh, It was St. Louis, by the way, who, um, where Tua went. Uh, And they only, they actually faced each other, faced their teams faced each other twice. But I think in the second time, uh, Milton was hurt and they didn't play, but the, <laughs> but the first time they played, um, Miliani, that was Milton beat, uh, Tua and St. Louis 63 to 47. Whew. Yeah. Um, that must've been fun to watch. Uh, it must've <laughs> been, a, it must've been wild, but, um, they, uh, you know, you know, I thought UCF was vulnerable this year too, with, without McKenzie out there. Um, because of, I mean, people underestimate, you know, his intangibles and just how great of a leader he was for UCF on the field, how much he grew from his freshman to his sophomore year. He really, you know, this seems cliche because of course he's the quarterback, but he really was the heart and soul of the team and still to a certain extent is, um, you know, but, but he's, he's not on the field. And, uh, and there were times in those close games, like you mentioned the Memphis games, where he was the guy who who said, "Don't worry, fellas, we got this. Climb on my back, and we'll do it." And that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, it, it, nonetheless, uh, you know, I thought UCF was vulnerable this year because, you know, I thought that the schedule didn't break favorably. I, this was one game. This game on Friday was one game I had circled on the calendar. I was like, "Oh boy, this is going to be a tough one because you know, since he's going to be amped for this, there were high expectations for Luke Fickle coming in." Um, and Cincinnati's a good football team. Uh, so I, I was worried about this one. I was worried about, I was actually worried about the Stanford game coming into the year. I wasn't all that worried about Pitt, but, but lo and behold, <laughs> goes to show you how, how that works out. And now, at, you know, and I thought UCF was, you know, it was going to go 10 and two, whether or not that would be good enough to win the American, you know, I don't know, because I, I know that Cincinnati's schedule, you know, you guys have some tough games on the road too. So, I thought there was a possibility that UCF could go ten and two, lose to Cincinnati, and still win the division. But um, I, I don't know. We'll have to see. This is going to be. I, I've been. I've been on. Uh, I've been on upset alert on this one since since the schedule came out. I've been worried about it. So uh, yeah, I mean, we'll this just... is this is the one that Cincinnati fans have had circled for a long time. 
Obviously, yeah. the Ohio State game week two is a big deal, but this, I mean, this game means everything because whoever comes out of this is going to be the favorite to win the East and ultimately possibly the conference and possibly yeah. the Cotton Bowl, which for you guys, I, and I know that you always think, you know, oh, it's one and oh, it's one and oh, it's you guys go one week at a time. I mean, we have been looking forward to this, and I think our players have been looking forward to this one for a while. Yeah, and, and, and why not, right? National television, Friday night. Um, Cincinnati was more or less of, a, of a, a bit player in the game last year uh, in, in UCF's big college game day coming out party. First time that, they, first time that UCF ever hosted college game day. Um, and, uh, and, and on national TV in prime time, it was a huge moment, not just for UCF football, but for the, for the university as a whole. And, uh, um, and, and it's like, oh, oh, Cincinnati is also there. <laughs> you yeah, know, no, and, I was dumb enough to think that we had a chance, uh, when you watch that stadium and when you look at that atmosphere, my dad just looking at me like, they're not losing. Like, look at, this is like their moment. I mean, this was. This game meant everything to you guys last year. You could not afford a loss. It would have crippled everything that you had yeah. worked for, honestly. Um, and I don't think this is anywhere comparable, but if Cincinnati loses, it's, we're not losing everything, but a win. And all of a sudden, you have a new kind of darling program in the American and a yeah. new team that everyone's going to kind of come to yeah it's gonna it, it will it'll certainly change the balance uh at least within the division certainly now there's still got a lot of football left to go um but uh yeah it, this is it, it's i mean not much more you can say other than this is so huge for both squads and um and now it's and now's the time for ucf to you know it, and this is such a big road test i think if you're talking about from the ucf side this is a huge huge road test with a freshman quarterback um you know and 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 this and the schedule may work out quite nicely for UCF after this because if the Knights can get through this you know this gauntlet you know a Friday night at Cincinnati get out of there with a win then it then they have a bye week plus the extra day and then it's ECU at home on October 19th before UCF has to go to Temple. So, you know, that could be that could be one, two, three divisional wins right there before you have another tough road test at Temple. But we don't know what Temple is going to be like in a few weeks. Um, yeah, and, and then and then we'll have to see how the rest of it shakes out. But um, yeah, this is this is just a huge, huge moment for Cincinnati, just as it just as it is a huge test for UCF. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate your time and and talking to you. Any last thoughts? Anything you want to say to the Cincinnati fans? Any any last thoughts on this game? Just hey, it's uh, you know it, it's going to be if you're a Cincinnati fan, you got to weather the storm and uh, it, and and see what it's like. I know I know it's going to be loud. It, the, Remember the last time UCF actually played in Cincinnati was two years ago, and it was the game that was cut short after three quarters by the by the weather. Yeah, and, thank God I was sick of watching that. <laughs> that was, I just didn't. I just uh, didn't, I couldn't turn it off. It was like watching a train wreck. But I will say this because some people, some UCF people, kind of came at me for talking about how loud Cincinnati is. That wasn't the real Cincinnati. That was during a four and eight season 
Yeah. I think there were 2,000 fans at that, at that game. I mean, you guys blitzed us it, to hell, but... The weather was bad, and the offense was just... And the offense was just... That, that was the one game where I was like, man, we put... I think it was UCF put up 53 points in three quarters. With 10 and, minutes left, so... Right, and, and scored... And and did something I've never seen UCF do before or since. They scored a touchdown on every drive in that game. Did they? I don't even – I honestly don't remember. I just remember watching that just thinking, like, please end, please end. Yeah. I don't want to watch and, this and I was, anymore. Yeah, and I was – we were watching it. We are like, oh, my God. Is this how it's really going to be? Like, this is, this is too good to be true. Because in 2017, we were still getting used to the concept of UCF being that good. Um and uh, the funny thing is the first time you guys came to Cincinnati, the first meeting was 2015, and that was the year that you guys went 0-12. So I think we won that game 52-7, to and our yeah. quarterback, Gunnar Kill, threw, completed all 15 passes, threw like 100 touchdowns. So it's weird. It, that's why I'm really excited for Friday, because we beat you in 2015, and obviously you guys were terrible. Then for two yeah. years, we went 4-8. and eight. And then last year was your moment. I mean, that you absolutely had to win it. And I thought we were closer to you in the level of competition, but I think we were still a little bit off. Now I'm convinced that there's not as big of a talent gap in 2019. Yeah. I think that it's as close as it's ever been in this series. And Cincinnati playing at home gives it a little bit of an edge. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's, I think that's totally fair. And it may come down to another to a close game, something that we have not had a lot of in the series. These two teams have played four times. The closest uh, the closest game was a twenty one point game in favor of UCF in twenty sixteen. That was Tommy Tuberville's last season um, and Scott Frost's first season. So, um, you know, this Jeez, is quite the contrast there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so so we'll have to uh, we'll have to see. I know it's going to be. It's going to be a wild Friday night in Cincinnati. I know that. It will. I can't wait to watch. Can't wait to talk to you on Twitter some more about it. And, again, really appreciate you coming on and talking about the game with us. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. And, uh, well, best of luck to Cincinnati, and I hope you guys lose. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Go Bearcats. (laughs) All right.